The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, potential, the humankind. Let's get started. Big question for all of you listening. Is your company still operating under what we call the industrial era style model? You know, standardization, predictability, everything in its place. And, uh uh-oh, top-down authority? Enough. Time's up. It's time to move on. Progressive organizations today are using a different model. It's connected. It's collaborative. It's creative. There are three C's for you to remember right there. And the reason is they want to unleash and amplify Human potential. Think about this. Imagination, initiative, passion, inspired individuals. We're not just talking employees. We're talking customers and suppliers and managers and everyone. Okay, so I ask you listening, is this exciting or are you scared to death or somewhere in between? Well, to help you decide if you're ready for this approach or if you have to be ready for this approach in your organization, we've assembled a panel of gurus, two of whom are winners of the SAP Unlimited Human Potential M Prize, a very esteemed competition. And I'm going to get started with our panel of experts. First up, I'd like to introduce Polly Labar. She's the co-founder and editorial director of The Mix. That's M-I-X, all in caps, stands for Management Innovation Exchange. There's the X. It's a pioneering open innovation project dedicated to what we're talking about today, reinventing organizations like yours for the 21st century. And Polly sent me this interesting quote from John. Dewey way back in time. Every great advance has issued from a new audacity of imagination. Polly Labar, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Bonnie. I, Thanks I love for that quote. <laughs> I do too. I do too. So let's talk about great advances. Let's talk about audacity. I love audacity. I saw it on a license plate once and I wanted it. Polly, talk to me just briefly a little bit about the mix and why did you pick this quote from Dewey for your opening? Talk to me. Sure. So we started the mix uh, about four years ago, and it was this idea that you just articulated. How could we make our organizations fundamentally fit for the future and, importantly, fit for human beings? Meaning, how can we make them as resilient, as inventive, and as inspiring as the people who work within them? And the problem, as again, you've, you've set up for us, is that most organizations are built on this industrial era model that we invented over 100 years ago to solve for very different challenges than we have today. And hey, by the way, you know, all this great standardization, specialization and control, which is essentially what we know of as bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and top-down hierarchy, that stuff has created tremendous progress, uh, tremendous wealth, um, advanced the human race in, in many ways. But 
it's really only good if you want efficiency at scale. And we live in this creative, disruptive economy. And what we want is, you know, people's full gifts, their imagination, their initiatives, their passion. We want, you know, that to come to work. And and we want to create, uh, you know, this is a two-way street. is isn't just what we want to get out of people. How do we create an entire uh, economy, workplaces, organizations, where we're, we're really allowing full human potential to flourish. So the questions that we had on our mind when we hooked up with SAP on this enterprise were, you know, how do you amplify human capability? How do you multiply the impact of human accomplishment? And how do you mobilize and aggregate human contribution in ever more powerful ways where you're thinking of ways not just to sort of, again, extract, but also to reward and put people together and amplify uh, their own accomplishments. So we do these series of emprises, these open innovation challenges. Um, we have 30,000 people around the world who've contributed. And I should stop talking because we have some amazing people here today uh, who are the winners of the emprise. But that's really the setup. You know, how these very big questions, which is where all the leverage is today. How do you, how do you systematically, deeply, and broadly um, unleash human potential? Thank you, Polly. Great introduction. I have a quick question for you. Just give me a yes or no answer, please. Isn't this scary for most organizations, really? No. Yeah. I no? I, no. I'm going to say no. I think it's just okay. Good. We, we, we will explore that later in the conversation. Good. I'm I'm glad. I'm I'm relieved. Let's let's move on to one of our M Prize winners joining us today. It's Drew Jones. He is co-owner and partner at Conjunctured Coworking, and he sent me the following quote in his own words: In today's rapidly evolving sharing economy. Traditionally managed large firms built purely on scale, as we were talking about with Polly, will struggle to receive respect and commitment from tomorrow's most talented knowledge workers. That's a mouthful. Drew Jones, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. And thanks, Polly, for putting all this together. This is a, an exciting thing to be involved with. We're glad to have you, Drew. So talk to me on your, on your quote. We're talking about large firms and we're talking about tomorrow's talented workers. Where does the twain meet, Drew? Well, just to the point that you guys have already made, um, you know, with technology enabling a new kind of mobility, right, what I think of as a new kind of nomadism, many people, particularly, say, in Austin, where I live, I think the figure is 85% of Businesses in Austin have fewer than five employees. Hmm. So, you know, we typically don't want to work in one of these large social cages. People have multiple projects. People are very independent. And we've sort of voted with our feet to do things on our own, in our own organizations, at our own scale, in our own lifestyle, right? This is one thing that distinguishes um, Austin from, say, Silicon Valley is mm-hmm. we're not really so much about startups and funding and becoming the next IPO. It's more um, entrepreneurism and, and freelancing as a lifestyle. And so, you know, we, I say we because I'm part of this co-working community that's been in Austin and it's sort of behind the, the mix application at Nomadic, but we, we're trying to bring some kind of structure and organization to this growing global community of freelancers. So that's where the nomadic application comes in. And, and, um, you know, it's really a battle because 
sorry, I'm a little winded here. Uh, That's okay. In in thinking of what Polly just said about no, it's not scary. It's not scary for managers of large firms, but it is scary for investors because shareholders at the end of the day, despite what we think of Milton Friedman, still drive you know the, the decision-making in large firms. So it is a battle, but not necessarily at the managerial level, but sort of the macroeconomic level. Thank you, Drew. A uh, question for you. Can you define nomadic in this context, please, just briefly, so our listeners know what you're talking about? Yeah, Nomadic is a, an emerging online, offline co-working platform where we're hoping to connect people that aren't necessarily members of a co-working space. But, so just put some numbers to it quickly. There are 4,000 co-working spaces in the world, roughly 100,000 co-workers, members of spaces. But there are over 100 million freelancers between the U.S. and Europe, and most of them aren't members of co-working spaces. So we're trying to bring some kind of experience on a, in a digital platform where they can connect with each other and then with companies uh, around projects, sort of these interorganizational projects, connect with each other and then also with companies, sort of a, an exchange between freelancers and big companies. Thank you very much, Drew. Good to meet you and glad you're on the panel today. We'll be speaking more in the roundtable. And let's turn to another M Prize winner. It's Mario Capin. He's calling in from Sao Paulo, Brazil. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's the founder of Vagas, V-A-G-A-S, Technologia.com, which means jobs in Portuguese. And the quote I'm going to read from Mario is the mantra of his company, Vagas. The quote is, individuals are empowered to do whatever they want, but, wait for it, but everybody has everything to do with that. Mario Kappen, welcome to the show. How are you today? Very well, Bonnie, and hi to everybody. Thank uh, you for thank joining you for us. For yes, thank talk you. to me. Tell me about this quote. How does this work for Vagas? Uh, well, in fact, uh, this, uh, this is a very synthetical definition of our management model at Vagas.com. Um, it's uh, quite the, it's exactly the opposite of a place where people do whatever they want, uh, but nobody has nothing to do with that. And uh, so uh, Vargas is a radically uh, horizontal company, which means we have no hierarchy, uh, and um, where the decision process. Uh, instead of a uh, hierarchical uh, up-down decision process, is replaced by a consensus-building uh, uh, model, uh, which means that uh, people have the responsibility of opening controversies uh, uh, always uh, when they have some contribution to, to, to give to the company or to some person. And... Uh, from uh, and these controversies have to be uh, closed through the uh, through a consensus which is built uh, uh, which is built. Uh, that means that people uh, uh, have a detachment attitude 
So I'm going to move to Carrie Brown, our fourth panelist from SAP. She's the head of strategy and alliances for SAP Americas. And Carrie sent me the following quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. Man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, and Carrie, that's exactly what we're talking about here, never regains its original dimensions. And I would say, thank goodness. Carrie Brown, you're a pro here. You're welcome back many, many times on SAP Radio. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Talk to me about your quote from Holmes. My quote from from Holmes really, I think, reflects my perspective and also my experience in working with customers on how to consume and use SAP, but is that the way we learn and the way we work is changing. There's a fluidity to that, which, as the prior panelists have spoken to, is changing. And how we live and how we work is really shifting what we expect as we look forward in the future as an employee, as a person in life and in work. And so when you look at what you learn, I think now we are constantly in a a changing paradigm of of what could be versus what has been. Okay. Thank you very much, Carrie. I'm going to circle back to Polly and then Drew, and we're still waiting, hoping to get Mario Capan back. Uh, And Carrie, and ask the three of you right now, What's in your cup today? Because that's what we're all about here. That's our little human interest storytelling on <laughs> on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Polly Labar, where are you calling from? What's in your cup or what do you think you'd like to drink when the show is over? Tell me. <laughs> is it too early for a glass of wine? Um, no, it's I, never I, too early on Coffee Break with Game Changers, Polly. Somewhere no, in the no, world, no. it's time. I, I flew in. I flew in from the West Coast very late last night, but I am I am in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, home oh. of Yale University. I know. Yes, and um, I'm actually I, I'm trying not to drink so much coffee. So I, I uh, for my second cup of the day, I drink um, uh, matcha green tea, which is quite lovely uh, green tea, and that's what I'm drinking right now. Very nice. I'm, uh, I was married to a former Yaley, and I lived in New Haven, and uh, I commuted to Sarah Lawrence by, by uh, the, the, ra- the train for about six months. So was, uh, I'm very familiar with that area. I'm on Long Island, by the way, and it's beautiful and sunny here, and I hope it, it is, is in New Haven. Polly, thank you. Drew Jones, where are you in Austin, or where are you now, and what are you drinking? Well, coffee, of course, um, right up until wine time, but that's for later, right? So. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a coffee guy. I drink coffee all day long. So I'm on my probably fourth cup this morning, and I'm calling in from Santa Fe on vacation okay. with the family. Well, wonderful. Thanks for taking vacation time to join us. Drew, what kind of coffee? Give me a little more detail here. Is it tall? Is it short? Is it dark? Is it light? You got stuff in it? Is it is it high test, I like to call it? What What is it? It's just Pete's dark roast, French, I guess. I, honestly, it's it's just a utility. I think at times I savor the flavor of coffee, and other times it's just, you know, like the old Dow chemical commercial, is better living through chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that from you, Drew Jones. Thank you very much. Mario has rejoined us from Sao Paulo. Mario, oh, Cap- yes. Mario Capin. Welcome back, Mario. We did get your quote out, so we have a good start from you. What are you drinking? I, I assume you're drinking something strong. What are you drinking now, Mario? Well, you know, I'm in Brazil. Uh, it's it's yes. winter in Brazil. It's very cold here, about oh. 15 degrees Celsius, about 60 Fahrenheit, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite warm for you, isn't it? So I'm, <laughs> uh, and uh, Brazilian coffee is very, uh, is very good. So I'm having a, a cup of very warm and strong Brazilian coffee. Wonderful. Uh, Thank fact, you. And you know, I was yeah. born and grew up in a coffee farm in the state of Paraná, Brazil. Really? Tell us briefly. Tell us yeah. what was that like? Were you were you eating, drinking, and sleeping coffee all the time? What was life like? Quickly. 
Yes, sure. Uh, I, I lived there till I was 11, and uh, I was very active at the farm, also very near my father. My fa- father was a very inventive in creating and uh, creating and perfecting machines and processes for to to, to harvest, to plant, to harvest, to process, etc. Coffee. So, so it's quite a part of my life. Very nice. I'm wondering if from your father's innovative spirit, Mario, is that where you got the interest in forming Vagas.com and the horizontal management and all the other innovations? Just uh, give us an idea. Do you think the inspiration came from your dad's way of thinking? Certainly. Uh, his innovative spirit was very important for my, for, uh, inspiring me for my, 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 my life. Wonderful. Good to have a role model and good to have good coffee in your life, too. Carrie Brown, where are you? What are you drinking? I am in Atlanta, Georgia today, and I am drinking uh, a homemade version of one of those green drinks that you can buy when you're traveling. So I have all sorts of goodness put into my Vitamix to make me feel energized for the day. I'm glad you're energized for the show, too. Thank you so much. We're talking today with Polly Labar of The Mix, M-I-X, that's Management Innovation Exchange, Drew Jones at Conjunctured Coworking, and Mario Kappen, founder of Vagas, V-A-G-A-S dot com, and Kerry Brown at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Delighted to be here. We're talking today about unleashing unlimited human potential. That's a loaded statement, a lot to talk about. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll launch into our nonstop roundtable for about 30 minutes and see how it goes. A lot of interesting, innovative ideas. If you're thinking this is new to your business, if you're thinking this is scary or this is, wow, we couldn't do it after today's show, I think you'll be motivated and empowered to give it a try or at least put it on your to-do list for in the near future. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Fred out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. Very interesting and exciting topic today, Unleashing Unlimited Human Potential. I'm going to speak first in our roundtable, open it up with Polly Labar at The Mix. And Polly's going to talk to us about the fact that most business models are fit for another place, another time, another century. So how can businesses move ahead to this ideal of unleashing this unlimited human potential? And Polly says there's a two-part problem. I'm just going to read a moment here. Organizations built to thrive in the innovation economy must focus both on unleashing human capacity and aggregating human capability. Sounds like a big challenge. Polly, talk to me, please. Sure. That's a little bit of a mouthful, so let me try to try to break it down. Um, yes. You know, we set up this emprise, uh, you know, around the basic challenge of, of, you know, how do we make organizations, as I said, truly fit for human beings and, and unleash all these gifts that, that we people have and we leave so much on the table. And we set it up as a two-part problem because there's a lot of interesting work going around in these two places. And the first is this notion of unleashing human, human capacity inside organizations. So basically what we're saying is how do you design environments and systems for work that are built to elicit, to invite, to inspire people's imagination and passion and initiative and all that discretionary capacity that, you know, you don't really bring when you're phoning it in, uh, in the cubicle, but, but you do bring to a passion project. And a really great example of a solution to that problem we have right here, you know, Mario's company, Vagas.com, is, a, is an alternative model. And he'd be first, first to say, you know, this isn't a model that trying, you know, he's not trying to give you the recipe and you need to copy it, but it is a journey and an experiment toward that kind of organization uh, that really respects people's full capacities and their ability to make decisions and their ability uh, to, to sort of see the future and set direction and figure out things themselves and not be kind of, you know, children or a kind of robots inside the industrial model. So that's, that's one piece of it. The second piece, and this is kind of this edgy uh, uh, piece that's being enabled by a lot of the technology and that Drew talked about, which is how do you kind of aggregate, mobilize um, uh, the human contribution in new ways and, and reward it, you know, nurture it, reward it, uh, put people together uh, so that you start to leverage, um, you know, talent across boundaries. And again, this is this is new territory for organizations, but increasingly you see, you know, very progressive organizations thinking about the, this reality that Drew talked about. So we have this economy where increasingly we have more and more contingent workers. I think any study would tell you by 2020 it's going to be 40 to 50 percent of the population of workers in this country alone would be contingent. If you look at all the solo businesses that are be, being created every year, those five-person companies that Drew talked about in Austin, um, you know, the co-working, the explosion in co-working, basically what that's saying is, the workforce is getting more creative, more mobile, more social, more connected, and traditional workplaces are getting less and less appealing. <laughs> if you look at the engagement numbers, you know, some 87% of workers worldwide are not engaged at work. So something has to give here. And the most progressive organizations on either side are figuring out, how do we do experiments at the intersections? A really great example I could talk about later is, you know, Zappos doing some really cool stuff in, in mm-hmm. Las Vegas trying to turn the community into the company and the company into the community or GE doing partnerships with uh, Quirky or opening up its spaces for inventors and makers 
uh, of all sorts. So you start to see this really interesting puzzle uh, of talent and companies kind of coming together in productive ways. And so that's that second piece. We were trying to unearth really, really exciting uh, experiments and initiatives, and we did, and, and Drew's here to represent uh, one of them. Thank you so much, Polly. Drew, would love to hear your, your insights and point of view from the perspective of your experience at Conjunctured Coworking on what Polly just said about how organizations can or can't shift. What do you see? Well, I think they can and, and they are. The Zappos example is a great one. Uh, Tony Shea, I believe is how you mm-hmm. pronounce it. He, yes, he Tony Shea. a lot of co-working spaces, including uh, Tony Bacigalupos, who runs a space in New York City called New Work City. And he was actually a, kind of a consultant with Tony to build that out in Vegas. So that's an open corporate model that I think um, we can all learn from. And it, it facilitates the kind of aggregation of talent and organiza- you know, different, different organizations working together by having these open spaces. And so that's one of the lessons, I think, from the co-working world is, you know, you create environments where people want to be, and people come in on their own, according to their own rhythms and work their own schedules and these sorts of things. One of the sort of examples that I like to cite as a motivator for nomadic is the growing movement of, of what's called activity-based work, in, particularly in the Netherlands, Germany, France, and in Scandinavian countries, where workspaces or corporate campuses are redesigned to be basically co-working spaces, where nobody has a fixed desk. There's a firm called Veldhoin and Company in Amsterdam, where they do facilities management and workspace design, but they also have a cultural contract with clients where to work with a client, everybody in the company, including the CEO and senior-level officers, have to commit to not having an office. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets a laptop and a locker, Ooh. like co-working, and yeah. the spaces are designed as a series of communities or neighborhoods, as they call them. So people come and go, uh, work in areas that are appropriate for the activity they're working on at the time. If you're in a project, middle of a project, you, you colonize a project room. If you're working, doing some coding, you, put, you, you have a private space for that, open spaces like co-working for other purposes. And the, the clincher is, and this is where I think the engagement scores can begin to improve, and that is a lot of these companies don't require their people to come in. You can work from home. You can come in and work at these new campuses, but the majority do come in because they want to be there. So when you start the employer-employee relationship with that kind of discretionary energy, it's just a different proposition than coming in, working according to somebody else's time schedule, uh, you know, where the CEO is two personal assistants removed from everybody uh, in these environments, uh, which is what we're trying to advocate through Nomadic, is to, is to move large firms into this open activity-based work, corporate co-working kind of environment where you don't need so many meetings because the CEO, he sits down every morning at the same spot, has a coffee, and he's just around, and other senior people are available too. So it gets closer to what Mario is doing where it's you have these open, egalitarian environments, and the physical space design is really a big part of that. And that's where I think the lessons from co-working is how uh, that space facilitates cultural change. 
Drew, I want to thank you. And while you were speaking, I took the luxury of looking up New Work City. And it's nwc.co, not .com.co. I just want to read, with your permission, the the statement at the top, which is really cool. It says, find awesome people to co-work with. Working for yourself doesn't have to mean working by yourself. Stop talking to your cat, put on some pants, and come work with us. I love that. And there's even a a picture of a tweet here from Tony Bacigalupo, B-A-C-I-G-A-L-U-P-O, at uh, Tony B-G-O-O-D-E. Tony be good and he says I'm working on articulating a higher purpose for at NWC Newark uh, Newark City and future efforts I care about I'm drafting ideas here bossless.co very exciting thank you Drew Mario Cabinet Vargas thoughts on what we're discussing on the this co-working concept and and uh, talk to us of course about a little bit about your horizontal management concept what do you think Mario uh okay um uh, I think uh, one interesting aspect is our uh, our our company's model is of a co- uh, is a community of people engaged in a common project, which is to unco- accomplish our mission no? and uh, to create a, an environment that provides both professional achievement and enjoyment. Uh, that is the model we work in. And which is, uh, I think, very aligned with uh, what uh, Drew and Polly um, uh, said. Uh, it's also interesting to point out that uh, in this first uh, talk, Drew spoke about entrepreneurism as a lifestyle. And I think it's very close to what we live at Vargas. Um, in fact, we uh, last week we had... Uh, uh, an uh, entrepreneur week uh, to to, uh, to to work the entrepreneur uh, uh, spirit uh, in the company because uh, our our horizontal method, uh, model has a methodology which uh, in which uh, each area is responsible for uh, for managing uh, uh, their function. And uh, that requires uh, entrepreneurial uh, approach. So uh, I think, uh, in the in the in a way, uh, we do live uh, in the in the in a world which, independent of being uh, co-working, well, it is co-working, uh, co-working with people that uh, that work for the same company. Uh, uh, so it's not. Independent in the way, uh, well, per, uh, per, uh, perhaps uh, coherent with our uh, do whatever you want, and uh, everybody has everything to do with the, with that. Uh, that is the tie be- between the people which mm-hmm. are engaged in a common project. Thank you, Mario. Let's move to Carrie Brown. Carrie, I know you, you've been quiet and waiting patiently. A lot of thoughts going on here, a lot of ideas, nomadic and co-working and innovation and bringing out potential. What are you focusing on? What does this all mean to you, Carrie Brown? And Thank you, Bonnie. It's interesting. And preparing for today and learning a bit more about my, my colleagues on the phone, it made me think back to the book by Malcolm Gladwell on Tipping Point. And when I look at what I see happening here, it's almost, a, to me, an elegant collision of, of technology and human behavior because the consumerization of IT, I think, has really changed what we as individuals expect when we go to work. 
the simplicity and the ease of how we live and use social and mobile to be successful as an individual is now changing our expectations as to how we work. So when you look at the numbers that, that Drew shares and the changing of you know, intermittent workers and you look at the phenomenon of having a horizontal organization, I look at both of these situations and I almost I think of both of the solutions of Nomadic and Vagus as being almost matchmakers of a sort. And they're looking at how do you connect the right supply and demand curve of people or opportunity with other people or other opportunity. And when you look at tipping points, so the premise of that book and the three agents of change are coming true here and being accelerated by technology where Malcolm Gladwell stated sort of in the law of the few that success of any kind of social epidemic is heavily dependent on the involvement of people with a particular and rare set of social gifts. And so when you look at the connections that are being made by Nomadic or by Vagus, they're really they're connecting people with those gifts or talents where they want to be socially connected. And so back to learning and back to how does this answer the question Polly had of you know, unleashing and engaging and, and aggregating capability and capacity, we now have technology that can, like Uber or like Tinder, connect people socially or with a need in a work setting, connect people into communities that can work better together either within an enterprise or across enterprises. So when we look at how you behave at work, crowdsourcing now that we are so used to in the social settings is something you can do internally. Looking at micro-learning where now we all want to learn just what we want on YouTube, personally, you can do the same thing with really low-fidelity video inside a workplace where everyone gets to engage, everyone gets to contribute, and there's a democracy in terms of the content that is shared and the content that's consumed. And so it's, I think, changing the way we learn, changing the way we work, and technology mm-hmm. is really there to accelerate and enable that, whether it's with authoring tools or if it's with community centers that you've got that are virtual, which give people the ability to function through all of these design requirements that, that Drew and Mario are sharing in a way that technology can really enable that. Thank you, Carrie. I, I want to uh, turn the attention to Drew for a moment. And, Drew, I, I'm reading your notes you sent me before the show, and I'm not sure if we covered this point or not. Uh, you, say, you talk about a barbell economy, which is a concept that's new to me. Can you talk about that in terms of we're talking about the workforce and freelancers and community working, co-working, and then on the other side, the shareholder? How does this all balance out, Drew? Well, the barbell economy, that's not my notion. I wish it was. Um, Anthony Townsend and a few other folks from the Institute for the Future wrote a report for Intuit a number of years ago on the future of small business. And that's a term that they coined to refer to this proliferation of what Polly talked about is these no employee or one and two uh, person employee businesses, whether it's freelancers or small, small companies on the one side, approaching 40, 50% of the economy on one side. And then the other side of the barbell being relatively few enormous firms and um, relatively few in between. You know, Britain has a mm-hmm. much more robust, small and medium-sized enterprise environment than we do. And so in the U.S., we have this barbell, one a large swarm of co-working types of freelancers on one side and then companies like SAP on the other. So the challenge to me, it seems, is how – are these going to interact with each other over time? Because on the one hand, the large firms are trying to 
outsource as much as they can and rationalize costs and reduce their commitments to employees in terms of benefits and all of those costs and full-time employees and all that that represents in terms of you know, cost structure. And on the other side, you have arguably the most talented people out there who have opted out of the corporate model altogether, and there's bound to be a way for these to, to connect with each other around this, this aggregation process that Polly's talking about. So that's really where Nomadic is trying to position itself. Thank you. Polly, chime in on this. Uh, thoughts on where we're going with this, on the shareholder value. How does, how does this all compute in your world? Well, uh, I just want to back up a minute because I think what, mm-hmm. what Drew's talking about is there's, a, there's sort of this uh, macroeconomic piece, but there's also, you know, you, I think you began this asking about is this scary for, you know, traditional mm-hmm. organizations and leaders. Yes. And I think, you know, one comment about what Drew's doing and then another about Mario. Um, so this really requires a fundamental leadership mind flip. And um, what, what it really is about is so – over 10 years ago, um, I'll tell you a little story. Larry Houston mm-hmm. uh, became the head of R&D at Procter & Gamble, one of these enormous global companies that Drew's talking about. And he looked around at the 9,000 extremely talented, brilliant, well-educated, well-paid um, scientists and researchers, you know, the Procter & Gamble's famous research organization. And he said, you know what? Never going to cut it. There's no way. There's no way these people are ever going to be able to tackle all the relevant realms of research and science we have to explore to create the future of this company. So he did something really interesting for an executive. He didn't call his team around a, a conference table with a blank sheet of paper. He went out into the world on a journey for over a year, and he went to every university, every conference, every lab, and he came back and he said to his colleagues, "You know what?" There are actually 1,809,000 relevant people in the world who are doing research and work that's important to, to our future and our agenda. Our job is to figure out how to connect with them, how to inspire them, how to leverage what they're doing, how to reward them properly. Essentially, how do you create you know networks of innovation and networks of work? Um, and I think that notion, and, and what was, you know, your number may be different as a company, but the question, which is, how how are you going to tap into to all of this uh, talent and capability that's lying in wait for you? And how are you going to sort of, you know, understand that you cannot own it all? You can't do it all in-house. You could never possibly employ all of the right, talented, smart people in the world. But how do you open up and connect with them? How do you experiment at the intersections? And one of these great intersections is this whole co-working world. But that, that takes a very different leadership mode because it's not I have all the answers and I'm kind of all powerful and all seeing it's I have mm-hmm. to really find them out there so I think that's a, a key key insight and then I just maybe Mario, Mario would speak to this but I, I want to underscore how radical and progressive the Vagus model is because while this the whole you know opening up the economy and, and reshuffling the talent deck is a really really big challenge it's an equally big challenge to look inside you know, organizations of human beings and to see an alternative to how they get things done together productively. And I think a lot of the fear for leaders comes around this notion of, wait, if I unleash all this autonomy, if I let people make their own decisions, if information is free, if everything is transparent, it's going to be chaos. But I think what Mario was talking about is there are other modes of regulation than top-down control. And guess what? 
peer regulation and self-regulation end up being much more vigorous and disciplined sometimes than, than top-down control. So I think you can see in some of these, these organizations that we've unearthed uh, through the Emprise is that they have this equal balance of autonomy and accountability. And I'll stop blabbing about it because Mario has a real-life uh, model of it. Maybe Thank you. talk about that a little. Thank you, Polly. I want, I want Mario to talk, but I want to read something from uh, – Mario and I had a wonderful discussion yesterday on the phone to, to prepare so we could meet each other. And he underscored to me that in the Vagus model of horizontal management, there is no hierarchy. There are no titles. There are no rules. There are no bosses. Mario, what I want to know is the age of your workforce at Vagus, the generation, skip the age, we're not talking numbers here, the generations, who are these people with whom you're working who get this? What generations are feeding your your new type of workforce? Tell me. Well, uh, we are 160 people and uh, the average age is uh, around 28 so uh not only why uh, generation mm-hmm. um in fact uh, there is one uh, uh our our recruiting process which is also done by 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 the team uh, recruiting and dismissing is responsibility of the team and the recruiting process is uh, uh, uh has uh, 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 uh is based on always bringing people who have something to teach us. Mm-hmm. So, and that also means uh, usually people who have something to teach uh, also have uh, are not uh, so young, uh, bring some experience already. So mm-hmm. that is why the the average age is not so small, so so so, so low as it uh, as you could imagine. Um, so. Uh, and in fact, uh, we believe very strong. It's interesting at Vargas that uh, theory came, uh, really came after practice. Uh, basically, Vargas is the place where everything has to make sense, and we have this freedom of rethinking and of, of hacking the company every day, uh, all our uh, 15 years. Let's move on. Kerry Brown, thoughts on this idea of no hierarchy, titles, rules, or bosses, and, and who can make this work? And, and Kerry, from your vantage point at SAP, what kind of leaders can deal with this? I, uh, Polly touched on this a little bit. What's the mindset of the leaders? Well, it's interesting, and I, and I may be dating myself a little, but I actually started in this space of focusing on people when total quality management was was the thing that we talked about in management. And to me, some some of what we're talking about is what's old becomes new again. And I want to highlight actually Gore, who we know for Gore-Tex. They're mm-hmm. a $2.4 billion company that started in 1958. And, and like Vagus, they have no hierarchy, no bosses, no org chart. And in fact, I learned about this 20 years ago. And what they do is as Gore grows, any specialized group or innovation group, once it becomes more than 200 people, they create a new mm-hmm. group because they believe that's the – the right size for them to continue to be innovative and small and, and be nimble. And so I don't know that um, all of the ideas are new in terms of what we're trying to tackle. I think the trends and the pendulum, if you will, is to swing back and forth from industrialization to you know independence. And we see now the change in how you can work together. And so I'll take a, something in uh, recently in my world. We focused at, at Sapphire on the future of work and specifically on the future of learning. And we looked at what the trends are in terms of 
social and crowdsourced and open and accelerated and personalized and available, all of those things that we are expecting and behaving like. And what I see is corporations and leaders responding to this demographic shift in the workplace, where Mm -hmm. we now have the workplace going from being 37% baby boomer now to being upwards of 50% millennials by 2020. And so Ah. the patterns of behavior that we see in the younger generations where they are digital natives is also coming into the workplace. And we have a familiarity and a demand where we can leverage exactly the app that Drew suggested in Nomadics to connect people with electronics that otherwise naturally would be happening. So you look at MOOCs, so massive open online courses, and mm-hmm. SAP's now started one called Open SAP, where you can freely look at content and learn within that community. And what we see out of these university programs is that communities form where people support each other, just like the communities that are forming in Nomadics, just like the natural teams that Mario's described get created at Vagus. We naturally collect to get the right things done. And what technology can do is help us naturally collect to get the right things done more more swiftly and more consistently. And that really is where I see the the juncture is between where what we all want and need can get supported and then an organization and a business can thrive by having that reinforced. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, we're going to take a break in about two minutes, but I want to circle back to Drew Jones. Drew, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, we mentioned the New Work City, NWC, and Tony Bacigalupo, and the co-working concept. Talk to me about how this impacts uh, the U-word, unemployment. Will people flock to this and say, oh, I have a skill. Oh, I have a teachable moment. Oh, I have a great innovative idea. I'm just going to go down there and start doing something. How do you bring in people who don't work for a company? What do they do? Just give us a, a clue about how that, that day would happen. Drew? Uh, can, I, can I loop back real quick before I forget yeah. to something sure. Polly was saying? Yes, please do. Is that, is that, is that cool? Um, yep. The, she, she's absolutely right about the right, the, the leadership profile. You know, A.G. Lafley at P, P&G has been instrumental in keeping what she was talking about, the connect and, de- connect and develop platform going. And Nomadic is really, in some respects, inspired by P&G's model of bringing in outside labs and design firms to, you know, boost their own innovation through this global network of, of people. Um, and there, have, there are a handful of firms that are doing that, for sure, and A.G. Lafley is a special case I think at least in, in part because he's so committed to design and design thinking. But for the most part, firms that we all most often cite, W.L. Gore, Simcoe, Vagas, SAS Institute, that really do run organizational experiments in terms of no hierarchy and egalitarianism, most of those are private firms. And they're not dealing with share, you know, quarterly pressure. So that, to me, is just a point that where I am now, and I talk to firms, and we're starting to sell Nomadic, and the pushback is always the same. It's how do I, you know, rationalize these costs to our investors if it's going to be a setup cost. So I think that the people like, I'd say, Jeffrey Immelt is in this, in this category now. He gets it at GE, uh, A.G. Laffley for sure. But it is a really challenging thing because it's not just, having the vision for how you're transforming your own organization, 
but it's keeping Wall Street on board, too. And when ML launched Eco-Imagination over a decade ago, you know, he spent five years on the hot seat, about to be fired every day. But he was able to persuade the world that he was on to something. And now Eco-Imagination generates over $12 billion a year on its own. And now investors love him. But he was on the hot seat for a long time. So it's a double-sided challenge for leaders of public firms to have a vision mm-hmm. internally and then sell it to Wall Street. So that to me, and that's, I'm working on a new book on this whole theme now, and so that's kind of what's top of mind for me. So I just wanted to come back to uh, what Polly was saying, which is, Thanks, I think, very Drew. important. Thanks, Drew. Very important. Well, We're going to take comments? a – yeah, go ahead, Mario. <laughs> I'm so sorry about uh, the, the, this phone call. Both, that's uh, okay. Both time of this phone. Okay. Uh, I would only wanted to comment uh, – uh, I think uh, this point is, uh, is really very important. And I would like to point out uh, some numbers of Vargas, uh, because Vargas is a company uh, which uh, 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 is 15 years old, never grew less than 24% a year, uh, grew an average of 35% uh, a year in these 15 years, and uh, never had... Um, uh, 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 what is called? Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, That's okay. Um, uh, uh, Methods in English. Excuse me. Say it. Um, say the word in Portuguese, and we'll we'll help you figure it out. What's the word? Never, never had predefined tar- targets. Okay. Um, uh, and also never worked uh, with uh, annual budgets, so uh, beyond budgeting company. So, uh, and again, it has to do, uh, so uh, uh, we could only grow in this model. So, so it's a, it is a very efficient company uh, that uh, only could grow, grow uh, this way because it is a private company, uh, as Drew pointed out. Uh, the logic is another, the, 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 uh, it, it is another uh, logic. That's what I wanted to Thank you so very much. My, my no, no, no. We're we're delighted to have you, and we're this is a global audience and a global show, and and everybody adds flavor to the show, Mario. We're we're really pleased to have you, and you add so much with your information about Vagas and the horizontal management concept. Guess what? We're not going to take a break because we're almost out of time. Seven minutes till the close of the show. I'm going to divide and conquer here. Let's move on to our crystal ball segment, which we usually do after the final break. So we're going to ask Polly Labar to come in and talk for uh, Polly. What you give me about two minutes maximum keep it tight and then we'll have drew and mario and carrie talk about if you fast forward let's say hypothetically six years to 2020 i love that year because it's supposed to be the year of hindsight what would we be talking about in terms of your observations on the unleashing of unlimited human potential how far will companies have progressed i'll use that word advisedly in the next six years or if you like another year better Give it to me. Polly Labar, go ahead. Predictions, please. Sure. I, well, I, I will preface this. I'm not a futurist, <laughs> but, and 2020 is not that far away. But what I will say, and I think Carrie alluded to this, is that, you know, on the one hand, um, organizations like Gore uh, and like some of the companies we've been talking about are what I like to call positive deviants. You know, they're kind of the, the harbingers out there on the fringe and at the mix and in my work, I spend most of my time on the fringe because I believe that's where the future 
is unfolding. So what I can tell you is that on the fringe, there is a lot of activity right now. And, and all of these changes that Drew is talking about and then that all our panelists have been talking about today um, are really in full force. And we are, we are getting to some kind of tipping point. And I think the 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 strong force here is the force of human nature, which is we're finding out ways, alternatives to organize and mobilize human effort in a really productive, meaningful way, in a way that goes with the grain of human nature. And that's much more rewarding. It's much more fun. Uh, it's much more productive uh, and much more productive of creativity and innovation. So uh, I have, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist, but I see a lot of change happening. And yes, of course, our, our, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, reform and reimagining that needs to happen in terms of our, our approach to, to the economy and the shareholder uh, economics. But, but there is a lot going on that I think is, is such a positive model that, that we're going to see a lot of change. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm a booster for this, but I also see, I see it happening already. Very, very exciting. Thank you, Polly. Let's turn to Drew Jones. Drew, I can give you exactly one minute. Give me your predictions. Go. Well, uh, to build on that, there's a phrase that I hear around conjunction, that is the future's already here. It's just only unevenly distributed. So you see it out there, like Polly's saying. And so what I'd like to see, and I hope to see, are uh, organizations, whether it's like a nomadic or something like that, where um, – so part manpower or a deco, part Blue Cross Blue Shield, mm. uh, part Mondragon cooperative model where uh, the freelancers and small businesses organize in a way where big companies can source talent and not have to pay their benefits and, and just see some maturity around organizationally around uh, the freelancer movement. Because there's a, there's a great line by Owen Lattimore, a scholar of nomadism, and it's the only pure, mat, pure nomad is a poor nomad. So we need big ah. firms. The world needs big firms. It's just a matter of reimagining the relationships. Thank you, Drew. Let's move to Mario Kappen at Vagas.com. Mario, one minute on the dot. Go ahead. Predictions, please. Well, I think uh, six years uh, is a short time, uh, space of time. And I don't believe in uh, in, in rupture uh, in uh, in management, but I believe in fast evolution. And I certainly believe that uh, employees will be or people will be more empowered. And um, I do believe that uh, the workplace will be progressively horizontal. I imagine that some large companies will experience. Uh, with uh, smaller units and with uh, alternative management approaches. Uh, I, uh, I certainly believe in the growth of independent work, like freelancers and co-working spaces and so on. Uh, uh, I think that's... Uh, Thank that's you, I, Mario. Thank you very much. Carrie Brown, I saved one minute for you in exactly one minute. Talk to me. Predictions? How far ahead can you look, Carrie? I, I think looking ahead at the, the time horizon you give, I think what we're going to see is simplicity. And I think that if you look at the large organizations like SAP, where I live and work, the focus is on access, the focus is on engagement, the focus is on contribution, and, and on measurement, to Drew's point, in terms of how can you measure and capture that to the marketplace. But I think the the changes we'll see are an interconnectedness greater than we've even known now. If you look back five years, mm-hmm. you look now and think ahead five years, 
in terms of how we can connect in an albeit disconnected world. But I think the technology will allow us to do that more simply and more easily in a way that we find most satisfying as an individual that drives both human nature and the businesses we work in and for. Thank you, Kerry. Drew Jones, I have one piece of unfinished business with you. I need a 10-second answer real fast. Just give me a little teaser here. For people with skills who are out of work in the traditional sense, can they go to places like Tony Bacigalupo's New Work City, go in and say, I'm a freelancer, I have something to offer, I want to work here with you. Is that a place for them or is it not so much? Yes or no? Yep. Absolutely, yeah. That's what I was hoping for. I wanted that little bit of optimism because we have so many talented people in and out of jobs because of the industrial era structure and hierarchy, and you can do this and you can't do that. I rest my case. Thank you so much, everyone. It's been great talking with Polly Labar at The Mix, Drew Jones at Nomadic and Conjunctured Coworking, Mario Kappen at Vagas.com, Carrie Brand at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back next Tuesday, 9 a.m. Pacific, with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Wednesday, we'll be back here with Coffee break with Game Changers. Actually, we're doing a rerun. I'll be out of town. Woohoo! I want to thank uh, Dan Wellers for helping set up this show, as well as Polly Labar, all your work behind the scenes, Malcolm Kimberlin for tweeting, Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.